It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Man, we're back. Welcome in to the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Had to get my mic kind of redone. Had mic issues. For, for those that don't know, you know, I've been kind of going back and forth between Illinois and South Carolina. Uh, gosh, for about eight to ten months now. Um, went back. Uh, had a mic that I used that broke. <laughs> Ordered a new mic. It got shipped elsewhere. Um, then I had to come back and then fix another mic. So I'm, I'm back. This is not the new mic. Uh, I know I kind of sound echoey on this one, but um, wanted to kind of get back and, uh, you know, once I got the mic done and, and actually put out a show. So here I am, JC Sherbert. That's me. Uh, lots to talk about. Almost did an episode Sunday, but then figured, you know, hey, something else may break because there's been a lot of news. And uh, let's get right to that to get news with the Gamecocks. Of course, no Palmetto Bowl this year. I, I I can't get used to calling it the Palmetto Bowl. Uh, when I was growing up, it was the Carolina-Clemson game or Clemson-Carolina game, uh, no matter what side you were on. Palmetto Bowl is easier to say, obviously. But, um, yeah, the SEC coming out at the end of the week saying we're going to play 10 games, conference only. You know, South Carolina did everything they could, including vote against the plan uh, to try to get that game played. And there's no games, you know, there's no closing game this year. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's, it's bad. It's a negative. It's a travesty. Um, I think the SEC could have probably made an allowance and said, all right, well, we're starting our conference schedule on September 26th. Uh, all you teams with ACC rivals, you, you, you're free to go play on the 12th. And then everybody else, you know, try to try to fit a game in. Believe me, everybody else could have fit a non-conference game in on the twelfth, and then you have another week. You have a week off right after that to kind of see how it goes, and then you start the SEC season. Um, there are enough Group of Five teams and FCS teams and and whoever else, the Big Twelve teams out there that had non-conference games canceled, to where you could have easily done that. Um, now. From a competitive standpoint, if you're the Gamecocks, do you want to start off with Clemson? I, I I tend to think it's probably better to start with them than finish with them because they're loaded. <laughs> but you never know quite what's going to happen in opening games um, and, and all that. But uh, SEC said no. Gamecocks obviously were alone in ultimately voting against it. I can tell you that from what my contacts say, Florida, Georgia, and Kentucky – all kind of said, hey, we'd like to play these games and push for it, but it didn't happen. And so here's where we're at, a 10-game conference-only schedule. I anticipate, uh, and I may have a special episode coming out breaking this down, depending on what time of day it's released, um, today, tomorrow, soon. Disappointed that it's not, that the SEC is going to figure out who the Gamecocks are playing. Now, the prevailing wisdom – uh, is that it'll be the next two teams in the rotation. And you've had a lot of reports on the Ross, Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated has been all over this um, and said this is probably what's going to happen. And then, no, this is not what's going to happen. And then you find out there's three four different models. Um, Philip Fulmer, the Tennessee athletic director, and Ray Tanner both uh, mentioned that there are multiple models. And, and Fulmer did say that the, the, the model to play, you know, simply play your next two rotating opponents is on the table. Um, there's a 
the power the power rankings deal in Birmingham, which I don't know how you do that. Um, where they try to balance it out and make it as fair as possible is on the table as a model. Um, I think regardless, you're, you're going to probably see the order of teams change. Uh, I, and, I, and I think I tend to think that the, the wise decision, and, and, and there's some wisdom to this period, and I think, you know, if you're Florida – and you get stuck with Texas A&M and Bama because they're the next two. I think how, how, how are you supposed to be fair to the Gators um, and everybody that, that may get a poop sandwich um, delivered to them? I think that with ten, you play 10 conference games, but, you know, the division record is what determines the division champion this year. Because uh, I, I just don't know that it's fair to determine it. I mean, because you could have a team that goes 6-0, and against the division and then goes zero and four against the other. And then they finish fourth, you know, in the division. So I, I don't know that that's fair when, when you're playing that many cross division games. Um, I don't think they're going to do away with divisions, but uh, to me, that would be fair. And, and, and if that's the case, you know, the idea in my opinion would be to get the division games front loaded on the schedule. Now, now here's the problem if that happens then what are you really playing for the last four games of the regular season? Because those games are just, I mean, college football playoff, you know, bowls. I don't know. Cause the division, you've already got your sec championship game match set, you know, so maybe they don't do that. Maybe they sort of try to front load it regardless. I, I think the game cars are going to, you know, I, I don't know that they're going to open with Missouri. I, I, in fact, I'd be disappointed because I, to me, that would seem that they they just didn't really try to be creative with the scheduling, and they just like, oh, we'll just play these guys here, there, and yonder, or whatever. It wouldn't surprise me to see the Gamecocks open up with like a Georgia, to be honest, or Tennessee. Um, my friend Mike Bratton from that SEC podcast, check it out. It's uh, him and his Tennessee buddy and uh, cousin Shane is what they call him. Uh, and cousin Shane's a big vol, and he talks like a big vol. He's like, man, I just. You know, dang, you know, <laughs> a great podcast. Uh, he tweeted on his uh, account, um, I think it's SEC Mike, at SEC Mike, uh, a potential blockbuster opening weekend. Uh, but the Gamecock game was Vanderbilt. So, hey, I'll take that. <laughs> Open up in Nashville, September 26th. Um, I think you could, even with social distancing and limited fans, you could probably still get some tickets because it's Vanderbilt. Um, there's plenty of social distancing space in that stadium those Saturdays. So uh, I'll, I'll take that, you know, if I'm the Gamecocks. And, and, and the reason I say that, I, I'm not like, – like I said, I, I was disappointed the Clemson game was canceled, and, um, and, and I think most Gamecocks are. But – I do think at the same time, I mean, it's so, so it's not like you're running away from a fight. I think this team, and if they'd opened with Clemson, I'd have been fine with it. I think this team, though, in this program with where it's at right now, needs they need some confidence. They need something good to happen on the field. Plenty of good has happened off the field. They need something good to happen to them in a game, on the field. And obviously your chances of that happening are better when you're playing a team that you match up well against. Um, you know, so so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. As far as the other two opponents go, will they do the next two 
opponents. Like I said, Tanner, Philip Fulmer have mentioned that's still a possibility. Uh, if that's the case, it would be Auburn and Arkansas. I believe, in my opinion, that that would probably be the most fair schedule for the Gamecocks. Uh, I think anything on the bottom side of that where you get Arkansas and a Mississippi or both Mississippis uh, is favorable to South Carolina. I think anything on the other side of that, which there's really no place to go with it other than play Alabama and Auburn, uh, is completely unfair. <laughs> because at that point, you know, keep in mind the Gamecocks' other two West opponents are, S- are LSU and Texas A&M. Um, and that's what people, you know, people saw Georgia – you know, Georgia would get Arkansas and Mississippi State if it's the next two, and they're oh, unfair. Well, Georgia's already got Alabama and Auburn, so it's their turn to kind of have the tough schedule. Um, and so I get it. People were upset because Alabama's got Vanderbilt. Well, you know, from the other division this year, I think, well, I don't know. Who else did Bama have besides Georgia from the East? Was it? Oh, Georgia and Tennessee. They always play Tennessee. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, is it? I mean, I, I think anybody that gets Bama is going to be upset. Anybody that gets Vanderbilt is going to be happy and then shake them up in a box and spit them out. I know if they go by a strength of schedule, and one theory that I heard was they do it by a conference record last season. With LSU on the schedule, you know, obviously that means that has a heavier weight for the Gamecocks, especially with it being a road game, than – where LSU's picked in that division this year, you know? And so if they just go by last year, you're talking about, you know, the Gamecocks have an LSU and then Texas A&M, um, you know, who else do they end up with? You know, you're probably not going to give them Alabama in that case. Uh, will you give them Auburn? Well, if you go by last year, Auburn was the number two team tied at least uh, in the, in the West with Bama. You know, so maybe you do get Arkansas and a Mississippi or two Mississippis. Um, I think that would end up maybe with two Mississippis because that's, you know, those teams are probably similar this year with expectations. And last year they they didn't have terror. I mean, they were kind of like the Gamecocks, uh, five and seven and then six and seven. The Gamecocks, of course, were four and eight. So uh, I wouldn't mind seeing that, you know. You get Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin on the schedule. And and I think between the two, you know, obviously Leach's offense is a concern. K.J. Costello comes in from Stanford to take over the quarterback range. Uh, You just never know with their speed, you know, what that offense is going to do with the athleticism that they have at Mississippi State. I think they still have enough pieces on defense to be decent. Uh, with Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, I, I think that they've got a lot of good young talent returning. He's inheriting a really good roster. You know, Matt Luke didn't just stop recruiting during his three-year tenure. In fact, he he had some overachieving classes. And, and then last season, if you look at it, their team had a lot of good young players. Their best players were sort of young. Um, uh, Plumley, the dual-threat quarterback, could obviously be a problem. For some people, I think he rushed for 120 yards against Bama. You know, so Ole Miss would be an intriguing team to play as well. Um, you know, if you're talking about the two, I don't know which one the Gamecocks match up better with. And I think it's a – I think maybe scheme-wise you're more concerned about, you know, the Bulldogs. I think talent-wise you're probably more concerned about the Rebels. 
you know, Arkansas could surprise some people this year. You know, I, I don't know. I, I like Kendall Browse as the OC, Barry Odom as the DC. I don't know about Felipe Franks as their quarterback. Um, you know, they're still sort of rebuilding, but, but they, they may jump up and bite somebody. So it's, it's going to be a weird year. So you can't just pencil in the Hogs as a as a win uh, if you get them. That's a game you should win, but you should have beaten North Carolina and App State and Tennessee and Missouri and a lot of these teams last year. So I anticipate a schedule, at least knowing the opponents, pretty relatively soon. And, and, and they should do that. I mean, I think the SEC, I hate to say he's bungled this, but they've really kind of been behind – um, and it's gone from, oh, well, they're kind of playing chess. Well, everybody else is playing checkers and being reactionary to, uh, wait a minute, these guys really don't know what the hell they're going to do. And um, I think that's a shame because you're the Southeastern Conference uh, and you, you should know and you, you, know, you should have you should have it ready to roll, like a turnkey solution like the ACC had, quite frankly. You know, because it's unfair – you know, and I know the coaches have gotten more time now to get ready. You got about six weeks now, but it's unfair for everybody to not know who they're playing and stuff, and, and to continue the the you know the, the question marks. And look, I know they're question marks. COVID may shut the whole season down. Uh, I think everybody's got to be prepared for the reality of that. Now, do I agree that you know? when the Miami Marlins have an outbreak or the the Cardinals or whatever, every little tiny individual case of someone having side effects or whatever, do I agree that that should shut down a sport? No. College football? No. Uh, I think those things get amplified. It is a pandemic. It is a serious virus. There are going to be situations where people have adverse reactions to it. Um, you can't guarantee that that will not happen to a college football player, though so far, even with the positive tests that have happened across the country, nobody's been hospitalized, nobody's had a serious issue. Uh, and thank God for that. You know, thank God for that. But, you know, carving out every little COVID case and, and throwing it out there as an example of why you shouldn't play college football is asinine. And it's, it's, it's agenda-driven. Um, and it's kind of funny that, you know, all of a sudden now you have uh, these same people advocating for like what's happening in the Pac-12 now where you have a, an advocacy group that has been trying to attack college football, in my opinion, somewhat fairly and somewhat unfairly, uh, using a pandemic as an opportunity, you know, to get kids to rally behind you know, what they feel like is fair in college football. Um, A columnist in New York wrote, uh, time to burn it all down. Really? Really? Why? (laughs) You know, and and, and I've got a plan for all this, you know, the the players getting their fair shake. I mean, and and I'm going to sketch it out. I, I think, you know, you've got to do something for the players long-term as far as their share of the pie. Um, When people talk about systemic racism and I'm not debating this as far as is our country systemically racist or not, or when that's a, that's a, 
If I see you in person, I'll give you my opinion on it. How about that? Um, but if you look at what the argument is academically as far as what systemic racism is, so, so, so let's just take that part of it. What, what, when people talk about that, what is the primary driver of that? Well, the primary driver of that is, is that generations ago, uh, blacks in our country, uh, because of redlining and housing practices or whatever, were robbed of home ownership and the chance to build what's called generational wealth. Um, that's that's a big component of it, as I understand it. Now, sometimes they move the football, as everybody does, that has a social agenda on either side of anything. Um, but th- that's the way I understand it. So you're dealing with men's basketball and football players who are overwhelmingly are African-American. Well, when they're done – and you don't tie it to performance and you don't tie it to graduation and you don't tie it to any kind of thing that they have to do. If they get hurt, they still get it. You just give them money. I'd start at a hundred thousand dollars because I think with a hundred, I think a hundred thousand dollars still goes a long way these days. I think you can start a business. You can buy a house, put a heck, heck of a fat down payment on a house, um, start a business with it. You know, there's your seed money to go build generational wealth. That's number one. Number two, I think when you're talking about play, paying these guys stipends, it should be equal to teaching assistants. We pay our grad students to teach and help and do a service for the university. You know, I think it's around 30000 40000 a year with benefits and all that. Um, you pay them like that because they're like a teaching assistant doing a benefit for the university. A big one. Okay. So you pay them. You pay them more. This is over. This is in addition to the scholarships and all that go nowhere. Okay, you still got full scholarship. Get everything you want. Um, I agree with some of the Pac-12 proposals that they need health insurance. Uh, I think the NFL should have done this a long time ago. Uh, I think that's important. Uh, and I think that as far as when you're talking about group policies and plans and things like that, it's not overly cost prohibitive to keep these guys on an insurance policy beyond their playing days. Parents – are able to keep their children on policies now until they're 26, 27 years old. I don't think that's a big deal at all. You just lobby for it if it's a law that has to be done or, or you just keep them on there. You know, I cover the Cobra or whatever. You know, I don't – I just don't see uh, any reason why that should not be taken care of. Um, you know, and as far as the COVID-19 health preventative health care that they get now – uh, college football programs should be investing whatever it takes because, again, if you have a COVID outbreak, you're not going to get the season in. So uh, I, the, the list of demands from the Pac-12 said we need to be taking care of whatever. Um, and, and I think, you know, some kids are going to be out there and they're going to opt out because, you know, they 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 feel like, you know, it's not good enough. And they, they probably, some of them probably don't know what they're talking about. You know, some of these demands are probably well and, you know, already been taken care of. Um, but, but that's the case. I mean, that, that's the case. So, you know, when, when you're trying and then of course, name, image, and likeness, uh, you know, I know it's a Pandora's box, but I think you just got to let them go do it and get their money in the free market. 
I also think on the flip side of this, what college football players and, and some of their advocates out there have to understand is that there is value in football players and they do provide an excellent service um, for a university. But two things, number one, I mean, and they do, you know, it, it is a sport that's very brutal on the body. Um, but, but there's two things. Number one, you don't have to play football. I mean, you know, nobody is, you know, it's not like they're rounding up guys and saying you, you are for at gunpoint and saying you're forced to play college football. No, it's a free country. And if you don't want to play, you don't have to, it's voluntary. You know, that's number one, you know, number two, I think people are completely, you know, with this half of the revenue stuff, I think people are completely overvaluing the player element. Um, and I say that with the greatest respect, for players that go out there and work hard and play and that love the game and, and all that. I mean, I, I've dealt with players a long time and I think that, you know, more power to them. And, and as I've previously sketched out, I, I think I want them to get money, get more money. I, I do think it's a system where, you know, scholarships probably just not enough when you look at the money coming in. All right. That's the bottom line. And, and, and especially things like healthcare, that drives me crazy. I mean, you're going, you're going to have a guy come out here and bust his butt and, you know, all that good stuff, and then you're just going to turn him loose and say, ah, oh, well, go get a job and get your own insurance and all that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, as I said, parents keep their kids on their insurance until they're 26, 27 because the Affordable Care Act. Why can't colleges keep guys on insurance for a prolonged period of time? And if, and if there's a law that has to be changed, I'm sure they'll change it. Um. Or hope they would change it. <laughs> Never put anything past anybody making laws. But, uh, you know, I do think – but, but, but I, getting back to the other side of this, the bottom line is, you know, if you want to make crazy demands like I want half the revenue, not the profits, the revenue, to be evenly distributed, blah, 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 then you're going to get told that you can just go play somewhere else. And I'll tell you that the bottom line here is, is that what colleges could do is say, ah, well, all right, top, you know, you, you want to sit out or whatever or, or demand uh, an unreasonable amount of revenue um, uh, and make ridiculous financial demands because your advocate or lawyer or whatever told you this, which is ridiculous, then just uh, go to the NFL and play or play club football or whatever. And uh, if it's 200, 400 of you, there's 400 guys that just finished their high school football playing careers that will gladly come and take your scholarship, as is, make no other demands and continue to play football. And you know how much money college football would lose if that were the case? Let's say the top 1,000 players decided, ah, out of high school every year. No, nah, I'm not going to play. I'm going to skip college and just go try to, to play semi-pro or go to the NFL or whatever. You know how much money college football would lose if the top thousand players opted out. Um, and I'm not talking about this year because this is a different. You know, this is we're too late now. But if they just decided, out, oh, we're you know we're the, we're the top players or top recruits, so we're just going to you know sit around and train for two years till we can get to the NFL. And I'll get in the NFL in a second. You know how much money college football would lose if then you just had to go back and take the next thousand and plug them in. None. Zero. 80,000 still in the stands at Carolina. 
96,000 wherever else. Uh, was a 96,000 seat stadium. I was going to say Ohio State. Still Death Valley, still rocking Saturdays. Both of them. You're still squeezing into those little chairs at Tennessee, little seats. <laughs> I mean, people completely want to spit and pee all over the branding uh, of college football and the affinity that fans have, which is the reason college football is making the money it's making. Nobody's going to pay the billion dollars to televise it if nobody's watching. And people watch because they love their school and their team. And, yes, everybody loves the players. We love We love the players. But that's, you know, it's not like, you know, some pro sports where, oh, you know, you don't have superstar players and, you know, ah, well, you know, it, it, it's, it's about the name on the front of the Jersey more so than the back. And, 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 and some people out there think it's this exploitive thing. And I'm telling you college football has done a lot of good from a lot of people for a lot of people that otherwise would not have had that good done for them. And we just all ignore that because you, everybody just looks at it like a balance sheet and all that, you know. So, 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 look. I guess I'm sort of in the middle on this. Yes, we could do more. I, again, I don't think college football is systemically racist. I think if college athletics, major college athletics, wanted to, they could do their part to kind of combat some of the, you know alleged systemic racism by, you know, allowing for generational wealth to be built, um, you know, and, 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 Hey, players probably deserve that much over, you know, their careers, hundred grand. And maybe it's more, maybe it's less. I don't know. So I, uh, that's my plan. I mean, that would be what I would do. Uh, I, I think, if the lawyer that's the former player at UCLA that's heading up all this and the columnist from the, the New York daily news or whatever, they want to sit there and try to tear down the whole system, let them, I would prefer to kind of tweak the system and keep moving on. If people continue to want to tear down the system and are unreasonable, I think that, um, you know, you just say, all right, well, next man up. Cause you're going to find players to play. There's too many football players that, you know, basically, you know, do anything to return to the field, to walk off the field, you know, November, October, December of last year for the final time that will come play and fans will still come and cheer for them. You know, will they be as, will teams be as talented? No. Will fans still care? Yes. The game may even evolve into something more unique because you may have, you know, Less you may have teams go back to the option or whatever, but it's still football and, and it's been around 125 years and fans have still college football and people have still loved it. And that's why it makes so much money. If you don't have an audience, you, you know, it's, it's entertainment ultimately, but if you don't have an audience, you're not going to make money, you know, and you're not going to lose your audience. If, if some guys opt out and you just get more guys. You know, not going to be as good, but the money is still going to flow in. 
you know, and, and in no way am I diminishing the players. I'm just saying people don't use common sense. They act like this is just some, you know, they, they act, you know, I, I, I had a writer tell me the other day, it was like a plantation. You know how insulting that is? That insults me as a human being and a man because I support college football and, and I'm not racist. And I think it's the furthest thing from a plantation. You know, I mean, that's crazy talk. That's, that's a moron. That's insulting to me because I work in it and everybody else that works with the sport or in the sport. I mean, God, you know, is Will Muschamp Simon Legree? Hell no. Nobody is. These, these coaches love these players. And I know they're making a lot of money. And, and that's a discussion to have about um, – you know, our coaching salaries out of control. Yeah, maybe that's a discussion to have. I think at least buyouts are. But, you know, is, is, it, is, is it like some people want to frame it? No. And I think there's common sense solutions and ways you can make everybody happy with the reform. All right, I've, I've enough about that. All right, so the Gamecocks, back to the Gamecocks, back to what happened over the weekend. So the first thing that happened was surprise commit. I mean, after the schedule, and we've talked about the schedule, got surprise commit Jalen Brooks, a transfer for Wingate, Tarleton State. He's from North Carolina, has some roots in South Carolina, six foot, 390 pound receiver, is on scholarship, and they are going to push for immediate eligibility. Uh, so I'll say this about Brooks. If the film checks out and – it's a highlight tape, so you don't know. And I, I also don't know, you know, kind of the speed of the tape relative because you look at the referees sometimes and they're moving around kind of fast. Sometimes you fast forward it and it looks like that And when you're editing a tape. So I'm, I'm not speculating that it's edited or sped up or anything. I'm just going to say generally if the, if the tape checks out, I think this kid's got a shot to play. Um. And, and I think you'll know if the tape checks out by if he plays or not. Tall guy, hustles, um, sort of like his approach to the game um, reminds me a little of Tory Gurley. Uh, I don't think he's quite as big as Tory, but reminds me of Tory Gurley. Obviously, he worked out just fine. Um, if they can get a Tory Gurley out there on the field this year, I think they'll, I think they'll be you know in good shape. Um, like the pickup, I think you got to be resourceful, and I think you got to, you know, right now you got to take as many ball players as you can get. Uh, and I think that this guy's a ball player from just looking at the film and the measurables, and you know, you look at kind of the the recommendations from his coaches uh, all over the place. So, you know, that's uh, that's that, and uh, they're going to try to get him immediately eligible. I would I would believe that he probably would since he was technically transferring from a school further from home, um, not Wingate because remember he went to Tarleton, um, back closer to home. I would think he would be eligible if JT Daniels was eligible at Georgia. There's no reason why this kid shouldn't be. Uh, and I think he could help. And, 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 you know, the thing about him too is with the season not starting now until September 26th, there's time for him to come in and get acclimated and practice and move up the depth chart and all that good stuff. Zaquandre White, the Juco number one Juco running back in the country, arrived in Columbia on Saturday. He, uh, he got in, 
Uh, and this was in the work. He, he's been eligible for a couple of weeks. It's been a matter of getting him up to Columbia. Uh, obviously, he's from the state of Florida, so you got to be safe from a COVID standpoint and all that. But he's he's in Columbia, arrived on Saturday, ready to roll. I think he'll definitely compete for carries this year. Uh, there was a time when it looked like if he got in, maybe they, they'd pause on Ontario Brown. Uh, they need football players. I think they like Brown enough to where they're going to probably go ahead and go on him. He announces Wednesday. That could change because it's recruiting. And when you're dealing with the recruiting board, uh, under Will Muschamp especially, it can change quickly, <laughs> as I've learned over the years. But right now, I would expect Brown uh, out of Savannah, Georgia, quite defined by Des Kitchings to be a Gamecock. Um, so, so that happened, and, and that was uh, that was positive. Ray Tanner held a Zoom press conference, uh, just basically talking about everything with the the COVID thing. It wasn't it wasn't that much, but what he did say was that, that I think the most important thing: no players have talked about opting out yet. I look, don't be surprised if somebody does. Just just saying, don't freak out uh, because it's. Uh, it's one of those things where it's going to happen at some schools. Some schools are going to lose some guys. So don't, 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 don't fret. Uh, and then this is an intriguing story from Helma Granahan on the big spur. Marlon Dean used to be committed to Georgia from Elbert County. Uh, in Elbert County, for those that don't know, if you go down 85 from the upstate to Atlanta, you go through Elbert. Um, Decommitted from Georgia, 6'6", 265. I like this guy. Uh, Gamecocks have been in contact. Mike Bobo has um, a lot of uh, ties there. If I'm not mistaken, McColl Hardman came from Elbert County. And I don't know if McColl, McColl, however you say it, I don't know if Bobo was still there when they got him or not. They they don't have players every year. I think Tyshawn Dye, who um, was at Clemson for a while, was – Elbert County as well. But um, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if Bobo got McColl or not, but Bobo does have some ties to Northeast Georgia. It's sort of the same region of the state that Gunner Stockton's from, although Gunner's more of the extreme Northeast mountains. Still probably wouldn't take you an hour and a half as the crow flies to go from Elbert to Rabin. Um, I used to live in Gainesville, Georgia, in Hall County, which is kind of the epicenter of Northeast Georgia. So uh, I've learned all these counties. Uh, but I, I'm intrigued by this kid. Now, it does say he's going to IMG in Bradenton, uh, which I know throws up red flags because Clemson's gotten guys from there and they put Xavier Thomas there and all that. I would just say with this one, just keep an eye on it. Um, the Gamecocks obviously have not gotten anybody out of IMG. But I would keep an eye on it because it's, you know, it's a different coach in Mike Bobo that's dealing with a kid from his neck of the woods. Um, now, Bobo is from Thomasville, which is in South Georgia. So I'm not saying he's from Northeast Georgia, but it is kind of his – he was in Georgia for so long, you know. Uh, so I, I, I would just not rule it out. And at the end of the day, when you're talking about Carolina versus Auburn or whoever – Carolina's closer to home than Auburn. Not by much, but it is. Um, 
And so, you know, this 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 will be a battle. This will be interesting. Now he could go to IMG and end up at Ohio State. <laughs> uh, I think he's got that kind of potential. But, um, you know, this guy would be an outstanding get. I think he's a huge upside guy. He's a true end. Uh, obviously, 6'6", 265 right now. Uh, as far as the defensive ends in South Carolina's system go, he, he could play that. Um, or he could slide inside if he gets up to six six three hundred. You know who knows, uh, but really, really a good player, um, Marlon Dean. So there's another recruiting guy to watch. And I, I've been told Gamecocks are right there in the thick of things for now. Um, again, we'll see what happens when he goes to IMG. So you know, hey, a lot of a lot of stuff kind of popped up on the recruiting trail with Brooks. Um, you got the confirmation White's in. You got a confirmation that Ontario Brown's probably a go for his announcement Wednesday. Um, and then, uh, this kid, Marlon Dean, who was a former Georgia commitment pops up and says the Gamecocks have been talking to him all the time. So we'll see how that goes. All right. So this was the Monday show. I will be back when the schedule is announced. Maybe if it's announced today, I'll come back with a, a special reaction piece. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens with that. This is J.C. Sherbert. Please uh, go and continue to subscribe on iTunes, um, uh, on also Spotify. If you've got Spotify, uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and um, all that for, um, you know, rate me five stars if you want to. All right. This is the Inside the Game Cast podcast. Have a great Monday, everyone. Holler at you soon.